1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to Poetry on the New Books Network. I'm Anna Zambalin, and I'm here with Rachel Menes, poet and author of The Naomi Letters, which is the collection we'll be talking about today. Rachel's poems, essays, and criticism have been widely published in literary magazines, and she lives in Chicago with her spouse and her dog. The Naomi Letters, published by Boa Editions in 2021, is set mostly over the summer leading up to the 2016 presidential election and the year following it. The love story between the speaker and Naomi unfolds via correspondence, but over the course of the collection, the speaker becomes reacquainted with her own body, physically and emotionally, transcending the space of this long-distance love. Thanks for joining me, Rachel.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So, the Naomi Letters deals with an interrelationship of literary linguistic and spiritual questions through an epistolary form. The speaker addresses Naomi, the woman she loves. I wondered if we could begin by reading one of the letters, one of the poems, um, and then talk about a little bit about how this book came to be. I wondered if we could start with July
0: 16, 2016. Sure. Yeah. July 16, 2016. In school, the rabbi offered me the word spirit when I asked, should I already hate my body this much? Spirit is a woman who cannot leave a woman. Spirit has weights in her feet that keep her in her body. Later, the rabbi said, you've asked enough questions for today. Naomi, I write to you at 30. I carry around this muscular bag. Shouldn't each spirit eventually accept her body? I used to grab my inner thighs between my hands and clamp down until the spirit screamed. I would study my bruising skin for clues. Today, I imagine spirit like a woman asleep in a pile of bones. I imagine love like gnawing. I wanted a body equally like and unlike my own and never found her. Do I wear my grief more like a suit or a skirt? My hands shake at the buttons. They struggle with the wire, hook, and eye. When I was a child, the doctor called my hands dainty. He told my mother I had piano fingers, ones that could span an octave or cover an entire face in its grip, palm to mouth. If nobody has died, why do I grieve? How do I dress the body I will not meet? How do I dress the body I cannot love? We Jews adorn even the mirror when we mourn. The men and the women wear black for a week, keen from the waist in the widow's living room. We become indistinguishable for seven nights. When I close my eyes in the dark, my hands grow to the size of your back. I open my fingers in the silent bed, fill the warming space between your shoulder blades. When I close my eyes, Naomi, your body remains covered in light. Thank you.
1: So what was the genesis of this book? Um, How did the speaker and Naomi and their correspondence come to be?
0: I started working on this book as a sort of, um, like I would say a really an exploratory space for a, um, kind of an interior crisis that I was going through. And, um, before I talk about that, I will say that I had, I was in that sort of, um, weird, um, like stalled space where I had a different book, um, a manuscript between my first book and the Naomi letters that I was, um, starting to send around to presses. And I, had felt like it was finished. And so thought, you know, maybe um, it's time to see what else is going on and and kind of take my mind off of that process. I'm going to, I wasn't really thinking of starting a new book. I was just looking for um, a creative outlet. And as I mentioned, I was definitely going through some stuff. I um, was looking to Uh, work through some things I didn't yet feel brave enough to talk about, even in therapy, Um, in particular, my um, relationship to my sexuality and my relationship to um, both my body and my mind, which I think that poem kind of um, hits at that sort of which are we space in a kind of interesting way. So um, I started writing these what came to be these epistolary poems as a sort of way of working through some of these difficulties kind of like consequence free. It was like, yeah, I I really need to confess. I really need to work through some stuff. I need to tell somebody um, these difficult issues that I'm going through. And so I sort of made up a you and started writing um, pretty regularly to this you and the you became Naomi. And after about a year of doing this, um, I looked over what I had and and realized that what I had was, in fact, um, had grown towards another manuscript. It wasn't notes t- uh, that would become something else, that, the, that these sort of confessional pieces were, in fact, poems themselves. And that's kind of where the collection grew from.
1: It's interesting to think about the Addressee of these poems as a fictional construct or as a construct of the self and other um, in the other I think one of the interesting things about the epistolary form is that it invites these kinds of ruptures and reparations in the IU relationship and I I had intended to ask um, when or about when the address is a self-address and when it's truly about Naomi or an other Um, I've noticed that there's a lot of repetition of Naomi's name um, throughout these poems and these letters. And it feels like the speaker is naming the space between the two individuals or um, otherwise calling the beloved into view. And I wondered how you think about that.
0: Yeah, that's a great framing. I, I, it was important to me to recognize and, and preserve some of the, um the the like letter uh concept in these poems without it feeling um overbearing as a as a sort of form um the repetition of naomi was a way for me to um connect to that uh to sort of remind the reader that this that this you was not a sort of um like broader construct uh you know i i love uh poems that that use the direct address, but that may not necessarily be referring to a specific person. And so the repetition of Naomi was a way for me to sort of um, really like nail down that epistillary form without having, I certainly didn't want to open every single poem with the like, dear Naomi, I think that would have been unbearable. <laughs> um, the, the way that I felt really um, committed to keeping the speaker's interiority present was almost entirely in the book avoiding having naomi like respond to the to the I in the book to the speaker because i think then then we're we're opening the door to the interiorities of two people and the way that the direct the address to the beloved like lands and responds and becomes a relationship and i i um, I tried writing a couple poems in that mode and the, the best little snippets of them that remained are scattered in the book um, that the speaker sort of cites and quotes back to Naomi, but having them both um, be fully realized people in the book kind of made it harder for me to preserve that Um ability for the speaker to speak to herself or to question the reality of what was going on in a way that, um, it just felt like it was too crowded. And, and so I I pulled that back and was left with, um, kind of what you mentioned, I think goes, there's more opportunity for like that rupture or that uncertainty or instability in the, whether or not the speaker is relaying sort of a reality or just her understanding of how the relationship is going in, in, in just the one side of the letters.
1: And it seems as though the speaker develops this relationship with Naomi's letters, as though the, the, these letters that, like you said, we can't see they're occupying the same space as these poets that the speaker really loves. Um, I'm thinking in particular of the poem September 5th, 2016, the speaker is talking about um, Sharon Old's poem, and there's a parenthetical that reads, this line makes me think of you, the white space in your letters. And it is it is important to note that the reader sees none of Naomi's responses, only that outreach to Naomi and the occasional summary or retelling of, of the responses, like you said, um, the speaker's understanding of the letters. Um, and I had intended to, to attach this line, the white space of your letters, to a question about how you imagine Naomi, but I think you've um, said a little bit about how Naomi is functioning as a sort of reflective, but uh, I mean, not to say that she's a surface without agency, but in the space of the book, her interiority, like you said, is is not on view for the reader. Um, it's it's more a, a space for the the speaker to Think through her own um, feelings about things and, and often literary questions too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I am not a writer of narrative and plot, and one of the things that I really struggled with in writing a, a book that followed a sort of loose, you know, arc or chronology was when there are two characters in the book. Them than they I mean, you mentioned olds. I, I love Sharon Olds. I always think of um, the dolls mashing together, right? The cut up dolls of her parents. And it started to feel a little bit like, oh no, I've created two people and I've put them in a universe and now I have to walk them through the world together. And so that was one of the reasons in my drafting process that I, I definitely had to scale back, Naomi, is I wanted this to remain ultimately, even though the epistolary form has a sort of narrative to it, I wanted this to ultimately be a lyric. Project and one where there was that a lot of open questions about the, the way that Naomi existed in, in relation to how the speaker perceived her.
1: And it, it, it's probably important to say, too, that the collection includes not just the letters that were sent ostensibly attached to their dates, but also unsent drafts and also later um, unfinished drafts Um, So there's this question, too, about um, what's unsent or unsaid in the context of a relationship's narrative or trajectory, and also this tension between what is unfinished because unsent, or finished but nonetheless unsent, or sent but possibly still unfinished. And I wondered uh, how you were thinking about those differences in this project that is a really it is a private project of a project of this um, speaker's self-reflection and outreach.
0: Yeah, one of the things I when I when I came to the sort of resting place of, of feeling pretty certain that this was not a book of two women exchanging letters. The next problem I sort of had to ruminate over was um, of course when we correspond to a beloved, um, we are also a constructed version of ourselves. We may be, um, there's a line pretty early on where she, the speaker's talking about her friend, um, in a new relationship and how easy and like how, how much fun it is in the beginning and how, um, how difficult the in-between is. And I think about, you know, of course the speaker in the beginning of the book is not necessarily giving a, full picture of herself to a new love in these letters and so the um unsent drafts gave me the opportunity to think about well what what might this speaker decide she's not brave enough to say yet Um, or what might this speaker be wrestling with that she chooses not to disclose to the beloved for whatever reason Um, and the unfinished drafts kind of in a similar vein um, either there, I'm not always even 100% sure myself, you know, it's like, okay, were they abandoned because the speaker um, didn't wish to finish the, the line of inquiry or the line of disclosure that that she'd begun in the letter? Um, were they unfinished? Because, um, you know, and there's the, the speaker's dog is kind of an, you know, a, a ghost and a shadow in the book is the letter unfinished because the dog needed to go out, you know, and the reality of me sitting down and writing these letters, all sorts of things happen that pull you away from the page. Um, and so I was trying to kind of nod to the construction of the epistolary as like a labor practice, but also um, I think probably most of all, just realizing that it's it's only one view you would get of the speaker. If you saw all of the things she was willing to um, create and disclose and put in the mail, but we also needed some way um, to see those those other moments in her life that she that she kept from Naomi, but did not keep from us, I suppose, as readers, right? We have a little bit more of a, a view because we get to see these unsent or unfinished pieces. Sure,
1: and that's one of the things I love about letters is that they do reflect a domesticity and invite the recipient to share in it from a distance. And I love that you brought up the dog because the dog feels so important as a, um, kind of triangulating force that is present. And I, I, I like imagining the dog as a creature with needs that would draw the speaker away from the page. Um, but elsewhere, the dog is present sighing or, um, having some, I don't know, gestural presence in the space. Um, and I think, I guess I don't know, I guess I just wanted to mention that I, I like or ask you, I guess, about the dog and, and about the, the speaker's domesticity and this act of writing to a beloved other as a possibly domestic domestic act.
0: I could talk to you for hours about my dog. <laughs> so I'll, I'll keep it limited to the way that this figure of the dog appears in the book. Um, and the the question of the domestic is, um, and I'll sort of, I might save some of that for later only because um, I somehow, when I was writing this book thought like I couldn't get a more interior or private version of myself onto the page. And um, I signed my contract for this book about a month before lockdown. So let me tell you when I say that uh, I've since learned that there is a version of solitude that is different than the one that's created in the book. Um, and I mentioned that in part because the dog in my newer work is like everywhere. And I think in part it's because he and I spent an entire year together, like essentially alone in an apartment while the world kind of cycled through this horrible pandemic year. Um In the Naomi letters, the dog represents for me, um, as you mentioned, right, the sort of pulling out of the world of the the space inhabited by the beloved and by desire and by all these sort of complicated things that make the mind-body relationship um, fraught and incredible and difficult into a much more like base pyramid of need space like the dog needs to go for a walk or the dog needs to be fed um the poem where the dog almost eats the ant poison um those sort of moments are like very much in my in my true real life um having a creature so that is so close to me every day that is almost entirely exists in the present moment um serves as such a powerful foil for what the speaker is going through in this book which is ruminating on the past and worrying about the future and, um, very much like disassociating from her body at times and dealing with mental illness. Sometimes it is just as simple as like, I need a bowl of food. I need to go to the bathroom. Um, and the speaker in, in those moments can be pulled away into the real world by the persistent and dependent needs of this creature that she loves in a way that's completely different than any relationship she has with with the beloved.
1: I love thinking about that. Dogs are so important. They are. <laughs> and I wonder, too, if we can think about a little bit more about the body and what the body is doing in this book. Um, on page 53, there's an unsent draft. And I wondered if we could read that one aloud.
0: I don't think I've ever read this one, like in a um, any sort of like public or recorded setting. So I'm really stoked about this. Um, unsent draft. Before you, I wrote myself letters. I typed them and saved them in a folder marked vacation photos. I wrote at 25, you understand these layered desires for life for abandoning that life, exist only in trade with each other. I wrote, you'll, you wonder if you'll ever know what it's like to fuck a woman. It's just fucking, my friend said to me at 16 after the first man left. Between us, my washed diaphragm balanced on the nightstand, an emptied tub still glistening It's just sex, the first man had said as he pulled his body from my body. I climb alone from my private self into a world I do not understand. But what if, what if instead that saying, doing the same thing over and over, hoping it will be different, but your body, Naomi, what if this time?
1: Thank you. The physicality here, the closeness, the whether or not anything changes anything or changes itself, is so it feels fraught and and it, and it's also worth saying that writing a letter is not the same as having sex, though those two modes of negotiating the space between self and other might be derived from the same or similar or different impulses. And I wondered how you're thinking about that kind of intimacy. Um, and of course, this this first line before you, I wrote myself letters feels indicative of something important. Um, how How are you or the speaker or the collection how How are we thinking about sex?
0: This was one of the points of crisis that this book emerged from. Um, and I think it probably requires a little bit of um, like lived personal, I guess, biographical context, which is that I've had um, my longtime partner and spouse that I met in college is a man. And while I probably like looking back on my life and my sexual history and all of these things, I could see very clearly that I've always been queer. I did not have the language for it until well after um, I was married. And the, one of the inflection points of crisis was sort of like, well, what is sex and what is queer sex and queer desire in my particular context and my particular lived experience? Um, And the, line at the end of the first um stanza the writing at 25 about you'll you wonder if you'll ever know what it's like to fuck a woman um comes comes from a sort of like that was a very real question that i that i was sort of dealing with at the time of working on this that the realities of sex and desire and then the um importance of naming and the boundaries of language all sort of collided um my other, if those of us in, that are either listening or engaging with this podcast that are also bisexual may recognize some of these points of crisis of am I enough of this? Am I not enough of that? Do I belong here? How do I um am am I sure? Um, have I have I accidentally stumbled into um, something that I don't belong into or is this a real sense of who I am? Um, I feel much more certain and, comfortable in my sexuality now than I did when I started working on this project. Um, and it's, I would say, I mean, not since I started working on this project, since I started asking myself this question, which was probably a little over 10 years ago. Um, so this book, I think, especially as as the end of this poem gets at, is that the speakers had um, some fraught as you mentioned, sexual relationships in her past, and is asking herself the question, um, is part of that due to the fact that the her previous sexual partners were all men, and her love is a woman? Um, what does that mean? Or is this just um, the, the fear is that this is a failing or an issue that the speaker will always face because the speaker is in the speaker's body. Um, I climb alone from my private self into a world I do not understand. So um, this was one of the hardest poems in the book to feel like I got it um, right or that I had a completed draft. And after I did, I thought, but you can't send this to Naomi. (laughs) Like the speaker would not send this um, to Naomi and that there's, there's probably too much disclosed here in the first 50 pages. We're in the first or the second section of the book that I don't think this speaker would have felt comfortable saying yet. So that's why it sort of remained an unsent um, draft. But it is very much of a, a, one of the fulcrum points in the collection, for sure, in terms of this question of um language and desire um and it isn't until way later in the book that the speaker actually uses the word bisexual for the first time like i think it's later in the spring section
1: yeah and before we even reach that point there 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 does seem to be some kind of development in in what the speaker will say and send to naomi in early february um february 6 2017 there's a poem um that in which the speaker's own body becomes the you. I wondered if, it's it's a shorter poem, I wondered if we could hear this poem too.
0: Yes. Uh, February 6, 2017. They say not all panic attacks are visible to an outsider. Like the morning I spent walking around the north side to find a warm place to write to you how fear's hand grew, how it latticed my ribs and pressed so surely down. What do you want? I asked my body. What more could you possibly want? But the body bowed under pressure, crumpling to its knees in the middle of the loose-bricked sidewalk. Most days, Naomi, you'll only see fear an inch from my face. How the first words I wrote you that day, if you look closely, lean slightly to the left and quiver.
1: Thank you. This poem is so striking to me because it opens with this question of what's visible to an outsider. And then in the third stanza, like I said, the body becomes a you that the speaker is addressing as though it is separate. And I'm curious about this in the context of this love letter relationship that the speaker has with Naomi and, and the role that imagination and projection, like you said, plays in that in that relationship. Um, and then we land again with fear and also with the, the words themselves that are being written that might have been written in some relationship with fear. So I wondered how you're thinking about this this vulnerability, the qualities of this vulnerability, and of course it's a field for all of these different kinds of figuring for the speaker. How are you thinking about vulnerability and security in the space of this correspondence?
0: I... I, in thinking about this question, drew a lot from my own experiences in sort of slowly um, disclosing to people my own um, mental illness and relationship in particular to anxiety and OCD. Um, That first line is um, something that I tend to be a little bit of a white knuckler when it comes to anxiety and panic attacks that um, I can, I can, I don't know if it's an eldest child thing or if it's like just a general coping mechanism for existing in society, but I things can get pretty bad before it's really visible in my body um, to another person. How, um, how, like, how toxic the soup has become that my brain is sitting in for lack of a better way to put it. Um, And the additional layer of this being a written correspondence um, means that the at least in the sort of world that the book is asking us to live in um the speaker and naomi are largely experiencing each other through um distance and so there's this extra layer of like naomi really would have no idea if the speaker didn't invoke it what what was going on that day in terms of how healthy or how sick she felt um and that's something that i think that estrangement can even happen and certainly does happen to me within a body that I don't always know how bad things are until a certain point because I'm either not listening to my body or my body is not um, letting me in on whatever it's going through until a point of like a crisis point where it's like oh you actually have to um, or in the in the example of the poem you have actually sung to your knees in the middle of the sidewalk or um, you have been standing on the side on the same sidewalk staring out into space for ten minutes you know things like that that. Um, trying to find a way to let the speaker let Naomi in on those things, but also felt authentic to the epistolary form um, was where I sort of tried to play a little bit with, um, well, vulnerability could appear in the um, in the way that the letters are shaped on the page. And um, that, that's sort of the speaker saying, Hey, if you go back, um to a letter I wrote to you a few days ago um my hand was shaky and it's because I had a panic attack um so that can be uh it can be a challenge but I think it also was a really sort of interesting way to explore building intimacy and building that vulnerability um without having to figure out how else they might be communicating or the other the ways that a, a lover might be vulnerable in person um or they're very different so I think that was That was I think probably that was one way that I really explored it I think the contrast between the sent and unsent drafts can also build um maybe in a negative space like here's where here's the degree to which the speaker is unwilling to be vulnerable um but she is in the unsent or unfinished drafts
1: sure and even um I think this mostly happens in, in drafts that are truly sent to Naomi um but the speaker does have a tendency to draw these literary references in, and also uh, the relationships of her friends with their romantic others as context for interpersonal questions. I, I mean, there's many poets that all feel important in their own right throughout the book, but one particular moment that feels essential is the speaker finding Naomi in a random page of diving into the wreck. And then in another moment, um, December 11th, 2016, the speaker tells a story about a friend who has left her girlfriend. I wondered if we could read that poem on December 11th, 2016.
0: Yeah, absolutely. December 11th, 2016, A friend has just left her girlfriend. Each time there is the beginning, she said, where I am best, where I am always sure. And then there is our future, where anything good is possible. The trouble, she said, is with everything in between. I once thought all I ever wanted was the trouble. To shovel the ice from the doorstep so that the beloved might not slip. To argue with the beloved about whose books belong on which shelves, then build them a bookcase with my hands. I have learned so many useful skills in the service of desire. Today, longing for you feels like pressing a foot into untouched snow. It contorts the face as weeping does, or an idea suddenly arrived. It lives on the page where I know it will find you. Where my friend awakens, there is no snow. Can you imagine it? She must step into her grief in a world full of sun. Beautiful,
1: thank
0: you. Yeah.
1: line near the end of the poem, can you imagine it, it feels essential in these moves that the speaker makes um, contextualizing their relationship or her own navigation of um, her thoughts and feelings and her body and her curiosities to um, maybe her confessions through the lenses of these literary presences and these friends. How did you think about building this web, this network of voices that touch this relationship and in some ways define it, but also um, in a lot of ways make the the, the love universal or, or make it reachable um, through these pathways of literary influence and social network.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I had not thought of them as those two things as being as related in the book as they are but you're absolutely right that um i do think there is something about there's something so delicious about the idea of um you know that a poem that you have read to somebody that you loved maybe even before or after a moment of intimacy is also one that like thousands of other people have read to their beloved you know that they picked the same poem as you for that a utterly universal moment um across time or across space or in different languages. I mean, there's just something so incredible about that that um, I think i was I'm always really drawn to sharing um things that you love with another person as an act of intimacy and then certainly imagining their, Response or imagining whether they too will like it if you've recommended a book to them or made them dinner. You know, those are very like mundane things, but they're also um, deeply intimate and can be deeply erotically charged for sure, too. Um, I think the question of the way that this all engages with a broader social network is also deeply connected to me to the queerness of the speaker and the queerness of the relationship um in that it was absolutely in community um with other queer people that i was sort of able to build my own relationships and understanding of the like sort of interconnectedness of queer love and i think in particular the um Queer poets that are invoked in the book, like Adrian Rich, it feels like there's um, just sort of a like a web building that the speaker and Naomi are just this one small part of. Um, there are certainly all sorts of other voices in the book. They're not all um, queer, uh, although I'm almost positive that with the exception of Petrarch, that the um, voices invoked in the book and Neruda, I think they're almost all women, um, which. I, I didn't do on purpose. I just, you know, I, I read a lot of women poets, um, but it is, it feels important. Um, I think there is just something so powerful about that enthusiasm of like, I wanna read this poem to you. I want to I want to tell you about this image and not just to tell it to you, but to see how you'll react and to sort of get to be a part of that reaction, um, which feels, also like how we might talk about the ways we have gained or lost love with a friend, that that's a different, certainly maybe a less erotic form of intimacy, but I think just a deep as much of a deep one.
1: Yeah. And, and thinking about famous, passionate epistolaries too. I mean, this book develops, seems to develop its own grand theory about epistolary correspondence, relationships, love but I was also thinking about the letters of Melville to Hawthorne, for example, as like a sort of not not unrequited, but deeply passionate series of letters also collected one-sided. So we have no sense of how Hawthorne engaged Melville. Um, And also thinking about the intimacy of a correspondence like that of Elizabeth Bishop and Robert Lowell, where they shared work and they shared friends. And i thinking about those two examples and what the Naomi letters builds over the course of itself, what about the epistolary form heightens or clarifies passion? And does it have some other effect on correspondence or description for you? Because it seems as though the speaker describes these acts of reading and describes these social interactions in a specific way that is tailored for Naomi in, in an act of love. And I also wondered how these intimacies take on their own grammar and correspondence and what is that grammar's bearing on poetry? How do we land back here in the, the form of a, of a collection of poems?
0: Yeah, I, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think where to start. This is such a good question. I think for me, I fell into the epistolary form um, because of its urgency. In this particular case, that it allowed me to get so much more, maybe immediately and also deeply, to a place of um, just sort of pure feeling and and connection between the speaker and the you. That it wasn't so much um, a poem or a lyric moment that is trying to summon an emotion. It's literally the speaker um bearing, you know, some some of these really powerful emotions directly on the page to to the you. And I think um, the epistolary form is so well suited for that level of kind of um like just wanting to get right to the right to the more intimate parts. Um, and I think it also because it has the sort of construct of being a, a letter and you mentioned a couple of my favorites um it brings a history with it that I think we can kind of imprint um our own sort of you know engagement with these sort of love stories onto it right it's part of a tradition and a history that I think is so um powerful and and also just sort of like intimate by design um the in terms of your question about like a, maybe a grammar or a lexicon that this book lives in, I really struggled with when I sort of realized like, oh, this is a book of epistolary poems, um, feeling like I was then limited in the way that those poems could look on the page. Um, I didn't want a reader to forget that we were working in the epistolary form, but I also felt that um, I didn't want it to seem like I'm trying to remember the name of it, but I had a couple of different books as a kid that were like, um, literally like they were meant to look almost like museum artifacts, and you would pull out a letter from an envelope. They might have been part of the American Girl dolls. I'm not sure, but it was like you literally could read these letters from other people that were meant to look like as if they were real and had been preserved. And um I was afraid that preserving too much of the the fat, like I didn't want to I didn't want this to become a gimmick or become overly precious, um, which I think is a risk of the epistolary form is because you are sort of like bathing in intimacy with this. And you know, there's this, this really um, like important relationship at the core of the poems that, that it can get perhaps overly maudlin or sentimental. And so, trying to figure out ways to use in particular, like lyric fragments and on the one end and citations on the other to sort of keep the work from feeling like it was just, um, I mean, I don't mean to say just love letters in like a dismissive sense, but that they had something else happening in them at, at the sort of baseline level that contained maybe more lyric interest than a true like letter might to a to a loved one that was not written as an epistolary poem, but was just in fact written as a letter, right? There, there has to be some sort of distinction there. Um, but that did take a lot, that happened a lot more in the revision stages of this book than it did in the initial writing for sure, because it helped me to see across the, the letters to, to sort of get to shape while the unsent and unfinished letters are more lyric and the um, whether or not I needed as much citation in certain poems or the poem could stand on its own. um, Those sorts of questions came later for sure.
1: And thinking about the form too, the dates feel really important to this book in part because it's impossible to look at the summer and fall of 2016 without the events of that presidential election inflecting things um, and I was thinking too about in September 1st, 2016, that poem begins, my calendar counts time like this, days Naomi writes, days Naomi doesn't write. I I wondered, of course, too, the book is arranged quarterly in seasons beginning in July, um, and, and defined by its seasons, but then it skips ahead to a future spring too, um, how is the calendar a part of this writing process or revision process or organizational process? And were you working real time through 2016? Um, Or is this book a project of retrospection? I guess my question is how did time impose itself on the, on the writing process?
0: This is um, one of my favorite questions to answer about this book because it It absolutely, in its first pass, was written in real time. Um, uh, Sometimes I've gotten questions like, you know, did you write September 1st, 2016 on September 1st, 2016, for example? And um, the answer is sometimes, um, because there were um, certainly poems that, looking back, are the dates are, like, to me, I can see, like, oh, I unquestionably wrote... For example, November tenth, twenty sixteen, after immediately after the results of the election, um, I was working on this book as that as these seasons were unfolding. But in in looking back and building the book through revision, um, dates changed and got moved around quite a bit. And part of that is just because. Um, You know, the the human mind and body that wrote this book was an adjunct professor. (laughs) I was teaching uh, on a couple different university campuses and I was freelancing that year. Um, And as anybody who's ever taught multiple first year writing sections at a time probably knows, there are hills and valleys in your availability. And so if this book, existed literally as I was on the days I had time to write and days that I didn't, there would be no poems in November. There would be no poems in April. (laughs) I was grading papers. (laughs) Um, But I I did, I did write, I should say this particular November, I did, I did write a couple of those poems on um, around the election because that was somewhere. um, One of the things I wanted to think about, really carefully as I, as I wrote this, and certainly as I went back and revised it in the year after, um, was, you know, when we survive, um, fraught, dangerous political moments or climate moments, or, I mean, I'm thinking this, this, the pandemic happened entirely after this book was finished, but moments like that, we still, unless we are truly disrupted at our most base needs level, which I was not by the 2016 election. I remained housed, you know, I remained, I had my jobs. Um, I was still in love. The speaker was still in love. Um, so you still have, yes, the world is, there's this, these horrible things happening in my community, but also there's the days Naomi writes and the days Naomi doesn't write, right. Those things don't disappear. Um, just because, um, you know, horrible things are happening in the world. Um, and I think about that a lot. this comes up in the November poems in relation to my family history of, of um, having a legacy of Holocaust survivors and my family, in particular my grandmother, um, that I have, you know, I have a history of understanding of, you know, you observe Shabbat in in the years before you are forcibly removed from your country. You don't miss kids' birthdays if you can. you know there's still, um, and of course, you still read poems, you still have sex, you still fall in love if you if you are safe, right? Um, so that was something that I wanted the book to preserve, even as I did move things around in the book to make the narrative fit better, to balance, like I mentioned, right, when there might be hills and valleys in my writing schedule, also thinking about what the speaker would be doing with that year, um, you know, would she... Um, the first draft of this book did not have a poem on Valentine's day, for example. And one of my friends was like, how can you write a book of love letters and not have a poem about Valentine's day? I'm not that into Valentine's day. It was not, I just kind of like forgot about it. And so, um, things like that did happen later. So it isn't as if it's a, like an artifact, um, time capsule of every thought I had on the day that the, that the dates, um, indicate, but it, it was not written as a retrospective. Um, the only poem I would say that that fits that is the last poem in the book, the one you mentioned that comes much later. Um, and that is in part because I felt as I was revising the book um, that I wasn't ready for it to end where it ended. Um, and that I wanted a, one more moment for the speaker to be able to speak through time and say a little bit more. Um, but that everything else, I think for the most part, was written in its very earliest versions, nearly all of them were written on the year, um, that summer 2016, December 2017.
1: And March 27th, 2018, the poem that you just mentioned, that poem happens nearly a year after the previous letter. So all this time does elapse in the space of the book too. Maybe let's hear that
0: poem aloud. March 27th, 2018. I am learning to treat my beating heart as if it belonged to another, as if it still belonged to you, Naomi. I'm learning to love equally the dead flowers in the vase and the ones I've just planted, wet with new life. The dress I wore to my grandfather's funeral, the one who wept once in his life, just once, now wrinkles in a drawer. Everything inside of me has changed, and everything outside of me has changed. I just returned from a week in Boston. My sister and I stood in front of Escher at the MFA and counted each incremental tessellation. I imagined my hands tracing the woodcut shapes of the metamorphosis too as if touch could solve this puzzle of loving the space between a thing and a thing. I hovered my thumbs over a half-geometry, half-animal grade in its remaking. A rounding cube, an unfeathering dove. Here, the print, like our love, both begins and ends with a word, which means the word will remain in each shape's body forever. The wasp turned to water the turret turned to rook the woman you turned to light to shadow and back at last at last to light
1: Beautiful. thank you this the thing about an epistolary relationship is that it will end it will come to a natural conclusion relative to distance or will be otherwise cut off for some reason and this that that this movement is imbued with light here and happens nearly a year after the previous correspondence feels so important how do you think about closings and how has the correspondence changed the speaker
0: i really struggled with how to end this book because i really struggled with how to end their correspondence um, having a love set over distance and having a relationship told mostly through interior impulses and reactions and desires means that to me, having like a catalyzing event at the end of the book felt really clunky and inauthentic. Like, um, I don't know, like a breakup or an affair, somebody like something that felt like a really clear plotty sort of reason why the two of them stopped communicating. Um, And instead, what I really wanted to think about in the space specifically of the speaker's interiority was, what does she need now? Um, What does she need from Naomi? What does Naomi need from her? And can she go out into the world, into the green world that is at the end of the um, second to last poem in the book um, when she says, I have to go outside? Um, Is that what the speaker where the speaker needs to turn her attention, um, and I felt as I was writing that that it it certainly doesn't resolve anything. It doesn't answer questions, but I didn't. I tried to resist the impulse to do that throughout the book, um, and when I was revising it, I realized um, it felt almost like I I still I just wanted one more beat I wanted a coda um I think it's in as much as there is an epilogue that poem that I just read is sort of like the epilogue for the book which is um I have gone outside I am in a I am in a place that is different than the place that I wrote to you from which is Pittsburgh um, I am in Boston I'm with my sister um all these facts that that were not in the um in the previous work and and i think also the engagement with escher um to all of a sudden be engaging with visual art in a museum instead of all of these uh, books that are you know breaking up the walls in the speaker's um interior space right she's in a big bright museum looking at a special exhibit and saying i still want to tell you about this um but i'm somewhere else and so it felt like a way for me to to really bring that closure and ending without having to actually sit down and say, well, they grew apart or, you know, one of them did X and then Y happened. And as I mentioned before, I'm this is why I'll never write a novel. I, that's the most plot I've ever thought about in my entire life, <laughs> that <laughs> moment. Um, so I, I think that was one way to, and I didn't write that poem until 2018. Um, I needed, Um, both myself to sort of move forward through my own life and answer some of these questions for myself. But I also just, I needed a little bit more distance from their relationship to see what it might be like for the speaker to be on the other side of it and then still speak through distance one more time to Naomi.
1: It's really lovely. And over the course of the collection, she has developed this new language for naming and counting and quantifying these impulses there is a new kind of fluency that she's adopted through these letters and the light I think calls back to some of the other poems too the the early poem that we've read together a few minutes ago deals with light in a similar way
0: yeah I I try to avoid, um, I have definitely my own little ticks in my own writing and revising processes. I'm sure all of us do. And I, I try not to end my poems on the same image too often, but I was really drawn in this book between inside and outside. And a lot of times that meant dark inside light outside. Um, and so drawing the speaker out into the world, um, and putting her in light felt important. And also for the speaker to see Naomi covered in light as she does a couple of times in this in this um, collection represents the sort of that in the beginning, especially Naomi is what can draw her out from the darkness into the light from the inside to the outside.
1: In closing, what mantra is guiding your recent work?
0: You know, I'm so glad that we just started talking about inside and outside because I, as I mentioned earlier, I thought I had written my most interior and domestic rooted work with the Naomi letters. And then we entered a year of lockdown. And my spouse is a frontline healthcare worker. So there was an extra layer of truly like, can I leave my house? Will I get my neighbors sick? I live in Chicago. I, If I step outside my apartment door, I'm in a hallway. Um, if I am on a city sidewalk, I am not alone. So that feeling of like, I fully must remove myself from the world um, to a degree that, again, I thought I had conquered in the previous book. Um, I've been thinking a lot about mind, body, I've been thinking a lot about inside, outside. Um, I've been thinking a lot in particular, I would say in terms of landing on a mantra for the new work, um, this question of who am I? Am I, the the poem that I read at the beginning of our talk was it uses the word spirit to distinguish between this thing that is not the body and not the mind, but is the self, um, this new work is using slightly different language and maybe even is resisting using a word like spirit and instead is is holding space for that question. Like who who is the I, who am I? If I am not my mind, if I am not my body, my therapist often tells me you are not your thoughts, <laughs> you are not your disorder. So I've got all these negatives, right? So one of the things I'm trying to answer in my new work um, is in this sort of, in the wake of this deep, you know, loneliness and solitude and forced solitude um, who am I if I am not XYZ and what who is the self and and what is she doing um, if she must engage with mind and body to to exist in the world um, it's it's a slow process I didn't write much during lockdown. Um, I wrote basically nothing during lockdown. Um, but the poems that are arriving to the page over the last couple of years are a lot about, um, treatment and recovery more explicitly from, uh, from thinking about mental illness and, and trying to maybe not answer these questions, but really invoke them, um, and, and consider them in, in maybe ways that are a bit more explicitly geared towards, um, that being the project versus in the Naomi letters, which is, you know, the speaker was certainly grappling with these things, but it was all through the lens of the beloved and through the lens of a interpersonal relationship. Um, this book feels much more like the speakers out in the wilderness kind of sorting through these things herself. Um, and in part because of the circumstances the world has placed the mind and body in, but also just because of who, who the mind and body are. Mm -hmm.
1: So writing toward the speaker toward another kind of disclosure that isn't mm-hmm. inflected with an, an address to another.
0: No, it's very, I mean, the, there is, as a friend pointed out in reading them, she's like, there's a lot of dog, There's the dog is all over this book. And I'm, <laughs> the dog is, be. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I spent an entire year with, with my dog, you know, so there's part of partially that, but no, it is very much, um, one of the things that I'm trying to remove from um, these layers of questions, well, if I'm not my mind and I'm not my body and I'm not my thoughts, I'm not also only somebody's partner. I'm not also only somebody's child or caretaker. And I think that that question of stripping all those other ways that we might look to define ourselves away and, and sort of looking at, well, what is what is left? Um is, is definitely a big part of this project. Whatever it, whatever it will be, whenever it will be, that's kind of where I'm at right now.
1: That's really lovely. I'll look forward to reading your new work.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to show it to the world whenever it is ready. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you so much for talking with me today, Rachel. Um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us to talk about the Naomi Letters.